Section six of Stories by Foreign Authors, Russian Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Stories by Foreign Authors, Russian Authors by Various. An Old Acquaintance by Leof N. Tolstoy, translated by N. H. Dole. Part two. The twilight had now absolutely changed into dark night. Over the black profile of the mountains gleamed the bright evening heat lightning. Over our heads in the light blue frosty sky twinkled the little stars. On all sides gleamed the ruddy flames of the smoking watch-fires. Near us the white tents stood out in contrast to the frowning blackness of our earthworks. The light from the nearest watch-fire, around which our servants, engaged in quiet conversation, were warming themselves, occasionally flashed on the brass of our heavy guns, and fell on the form of the sentry, who, wrapped in his cloak, paced with measured tread along the battery. "'You cannot imagine what a delight it is for me to talk with such a man as you are,' said Guskov, although as yet he had not spoken a word to me. Only one who had been in my position could appreciate it. I did not know how to reply to him, and we again relapsed into silence, although it was evident that he was anxious to talk and have me listen to him. "'Why were you—why did you suffer this?' I inquired at last, not being able to invent any better way of breaking the ice. "'Why, didn't you hear about this wretched business from Metinin?' "'Yes, a duel, I believe. I did not hear much about it,' I replied. You see, I have been for some time in the Caucasus. No, it wasn't a duel, but it was a stupid and horrid story. I will tell you about it if you don't know. It happened that the same year that I met you at my sister's I was living at Petersburg. I must tell you that I had then what they call une position dans le monde, a position good enough if it was not brilliant. Mon père me donné ten thousand par an. In forty-nine I was promised a place in the embassy at Turin. My uncle on my mother's side had influence, and was always ready to do a great deal for me. That sort of thing is all past now. J'étais recou dans la mouillère société de Petersburg. I might have aspired to any girl in the city. I was well educated, as we all are who come from the school, but was not especially cultivated. To be sure I read a good deal afterward. You know, jargon de moon, however it came about. I was looked upon as a leading light among the young men of Petersburg. What raised me more than all in common estimation, c'est cette liaison avec Madame de, about which a great deal was said in Petersburg, but I was frightfully young at that time, and did not prioritize these advantages very highly. I was simply young and stupid. What more did I need? Just then, that Metinin had some notoriety. And Guskov went on in the same fashion to relate to me the history of his misfortunes, which I will omit, as it would not be at all interesting. Two months I remained under arrest, he continued, absolutely alone, and what thoughts did I not have during that time? But you know, when it was all over, as though every tie had been broken with the past, then it became easier for me. Mon père. You have heard tell of him, of course, a man of iron will and strong convictions. Il m'a desserit, 
and broken off all intercourse with me according to his convictions he had to do as he did and i don't blame him at all he was consistent consequently i have not taken a step to induce him to change his mind my sister was abroad madame de is the only one who wrote to me when i was released and she sent me assistance but you understand that i could not accept it so that i had none of those little things which makes one's position a little easier you know books linen food nothing at all at this time i thought things over and over and began to look at life with different eyes for instance this noise this society gossip about me in petersburg did not interest me did not flatter me it all seemed to me ridiculous i felt that i myself had been to blame i was young and indiscreet i had spoiled my career and i only thought how i might get into the right track again and i felt that i had strength and energy enough for it after my arrest as i told you i was sent here to the caucasus to the north regiment i thought he went on to say all the time becoming more and more animated i thought that here in the caucasus la vie de camp the simple honest men with whom i should associate and war and danger would all admirably agree with my mental state so that i might begin a new life they will see me under fire i shall make myself liked i shall be respected for my real self the cross non-commissioned officer they will relieve me of my fine and i shall get up again et vous savez avec ce prestige du malheur but quel disenchantment you can't imagine how i have been deceived you know what sort of men the officers of our regiment are he did not speak for some little time waiting as it appeared for me to tell him that i knew the society of our officers here was bad but i made him no reply it went against my grain that he should expect me because i knew french forsooth to be obliged to take issue with the society of the officers which during my long residence in the caucasus i had enough time to appreciate fully and for which i had far higher respect than for the society from which mr guskoff had sprung i wanted to tell him so but his position constrained me in the north regiment the society of the officers is a thousand times worse than it is here he continued i hope that it is saying a good deal j'espère que c'est beaucoup dire that is you cannot imagine what it is i am not speaking of the yunkers and the soldiers that is horrible it is so bad at first they received me very kindly that is absolutely the truth but when they saw that i could not help despising them you know in these inconceivably small circumstances they saw that i was a man absolutely different standing far above them they got angry with me and began to put various little humiliations on me you haven't an idea what i had to suffer then this forced relationship with the yunkers and especially with the small means that i had i lacked everything i had only what my sister used to send me and here's proof for you as much as it made me suffer i with my character avec ma fierte j'ai écrit à mon père begged him to send me something i understand how living four years of such a life may make a man like our cashiered drumoff who drinks with soldiers and writes notes to all the officers asking them to loan him three roubles and signing it to avoue drumoff one must have such a character as i have to not be mired in the least by such a horrible position 
For some time he walked in silence by my side. "'Have you a cigarette?' he asked me. "'And so I stayed right where I was?' "'Yes. I could not endure it physically, because though we were wretched, cold, and ill-fed, I lived like a common soldier, but still the officers had some sort of consideration for me. I had still some prestige that they regarded. I wasn't sent out on guard, nor for drill. I could not have stood that.' but morally my sufferings were frightful and especially because i didn't see any escape from my position i wrote my uncle begged him to get me transferred to my present regiment which at least sees some service and i thought here that pavel dmitrievitch qui est le fil de l'intendant de mon père might be of some use to me my uncle did this for me i was transferred after that regiment this one seemed to me a collection of chamberlains then pavel dmitrievitch was here he knew who i was and i was splendidly received at my uncle's request a guskov vous savez but i forgot that with these men without cultivation and undeveloped they can't appreciate a man and show him marks of esteem unless he has that aureole of wealth of friends and i noticed how little by little when they saw that i was poor their behavior to me showed more and more indifference until they have come almost to despise me it is horrible but it is absolutely the truth here i have been in action i have fought they have seen me under fire he continued but when will it all end i think never and my strength and energy have already begun to flag then i had imagined la guerre la vie de camp but it isn't at all what i see in a sheepskin jacket dirty linen soldiers boots and you go out in ambuscade and the whole night long lie in the ditch with some antonov reduced to the ranks for drunkenness and any minute from behind the bush may come a rifle shot and hit you or antonov it's all the same which that is not bravery it's horrible c'est affreux it's killing well you can be promoted a non-commissioned officer for this campaign and next year an ensign i said yes it may be they promised me that in two years and it's not up yet what would those two years amount to if i knew anyone you can imagine this life with pavel dmitrievitch cards low jokes drinking all the time if you wish to tell anything that is weighing on your mind you would not be understood or you would be laughed at they talk with you not for the sake of sharing a thought but to get something funny out of you yes and so it has gone in a brutal beastly way and you are always conscious that you belong to the rank and file they always make you feel that hence you can't realize what an enjoyment it is to talk a cour ouvert to such a man as you i had never imagined what kind of a man i was and consequently i did not know what answer to make him will you have your lunch now asked nikita at this juncture approaching me unseen in the darkness and as i could perceive vexed at the presence of a guest nothing but curd dumplings there's none of the roast beef left has the captain had his lunch yet he went to bed long ago replied nikita gruffly according to my directions i was to bring you lunch here and your brandy he muttered something else discontentedly and sauntered off to his tent after loitering a while longer he brought us nevertheless a lunch case he placed a candle on the lunch case and shielded it from the wind with a sheet of paper he brought a saucepan some mustard in a jar a tin dipper with a handle and a bottle of absinthe after arranging these things nikita lingered around us for some moments and looked on as guskov and i were drinking the liqueur and it was evidently very distasteful to him 
by the feeble light shed by the candle through the paper amid the encircling darkness could be seen the seal cover of the lunch case the supper arranged upon it guskoff's sheepskin jacket his face and his small red hands which he used in lifting the patties from the pan everything around us was black and only by straining the sight could be seen the dark battery the dark form of the sentry moving along the breastwork on all sides the watch fires and on high the ruddy stars guskoff wore a melancholy almost guilty smile as though it were awkward for him to look into my face after his confession he drank still another glass of liqueur and ate ravenously emptying the saucepan yes for you it must be a relief all the same said i for the sake of saying something your acquaintance with the adjutant he is a very good man i have heard yes replied the cashiered officer he is a kind man but he can't help being what he is with his education and it is useless to expect it a flush seemed suddenly to cross his face you remarked his coarse jest this evening about the ambuscade and guskoff though i tried several times to interrupt him began to justify himself before me and to show that he had not run away from the ambuscade and that he was not a coward as the adjutant and captain s tried to make him out as i was telling you he went on to say wiping his hands on his jacket such people can't show any delicacy toward a man a common soldier who hasn't much money either that's beyond their strength and here recently while i haven't received anything at all from my sister i have been conscious that they have changed toward me this sheepskin jacket which i bought of a soldier and which hasn't any warmth in it because it's all worn off and here he showed me where the wool was gone from the inside it doesn't arouse in him any sympathy or consideration for my unhappiness but scorn which he does not take pains to hide whatever my necessities may be as now when i have nothing to eat except soldiers gruel and nothing to wear he continued casting down his eyes and pouring out for himself still another glass of liqueur he does not even offer to lend me some money though he knows perfectly well that i would give it back to him but he waits till i am obliged to ask him for it but you appreciate how it is for me to go to him in your case i should say square and fair vous êtes adouces de cela mon cher je n'ai pas la soeur and you know said he looking straight into my eyes with an expression of desperation i am going to tell you square and fair i am in a terrible situation pouvez-vous me prêter des rubles argent my sister ought to send me some by mail et mon père why most willingly said i although on the contrary it was trying and unpleasant especially because the evening before having lost at cards i had left only about five roubles in nikita's care in a moment said i arising i will go and get it at the tent no by and by ne vous dérangez pas nevertheless not heeding him i hastened to the closed tent where stood my bed and where the captain was sleeping alexey ivanovitch let me have ten roubles please for rations said i to the captain shaking him what have you been losing again but this very evening you were not going to play any more murmured the captain still half asleep no i have not been playing but i want the money let me have it please makatuik shouted the captain to his servant hand me my bag with the money hush hush said i hearing guskoff's measured steps near the tent what why hush because that cashiered fellow has asked to borrow it of me he's right there well if you knew him 
you wouldn't let him have it remarked the captain i've heard about him he's a dirty low-lived fellow nevertheless the captain gave me the money ordered his man to put away the bag pulled the flap of the tent neatly to and again saying if you only knew him you wouldn't let him have it drew his head down under the coverlet now you owe me thirty-two remember he shouted after me when i came out of the tent guskoff was walking near the settees and his slight figure with his crooked legs his shapeless cap his long white hair kept appearing and disappearing in the darkness as he passed in and out of the light of the candles he made believe not to see me i handed him the money he said merci and crumpling the bank bill thrust it into his trousers pocket now i suppose the game is in full swing at the adjutant's he began immediately after this yes i suppose so he's a wonderful player always bold and never backs out when he's in luck it's fine but when it does not go well with him he can lose frightfully he has given proof of that during this expedition if you reckon his valuables he has lost more than fifteen hundred roubles but as he played discreetly before that officer of yours seemed to have some doubts about his honor well that's because he nikita haven't we any of the red kavkas wine left i asked very much enlivened by guskov's conversational talent nikita still kept muttering but he brought us the red wine and again looked on angrily as guskov drained his glass in guskov's behavior was noticeable his old freedom from constraint i wished that he would go as soon as possible seemed as if his only reason for not going was because he did not wish to go immediately after receiving the money i said nothing how could you who have means and were under no necessity simply de gaieté de coeur make up your mind to come and serve in the caucasus that's what i don't understand he said to me i endeavored to explain this act of renunciation which seemed so strange to him i can imagine how disagreeable the society of those officers men without any comprehension of culture must be for you you could not understand each other you see you might live ten years and not see anything and not hear about anything except cards wine and gossip about rewards and campaigns it was unpleasant for me that he wished me to put myself on a par with him in his position and with absolute honesty i assured him that i was very fond of cards and wine and gossip about campaigns and that i did not care to have any better comrades than those with whom i was associated but he would not believe me well you may say so he continued but the lack of women's society i mean of course femme comme il faut is that not a terrible deprivation i don't know what i would give now to go into a parlor if only for a moment and to have a look at a pretty woman even though it were through a crack he said nothing for a little and drank still another glass of the red wine oh my god my god if only it might be our fate to meet again somewhere in petersburg to live and move among men among ladies he drank up the dregs of the wine still left in the bottle and when he had finished it he said ach pardon maybe you wanted some more it was horribly careless of me however i suppose i must have taken too much and my head isn't very strong there was a time when i lived on morskaya street en rue de chasse and had marvellous apartments furniture you know and i was able to arrange it all beautifully not so very expensively though my father to be sure gave me porcelains flour and silver a wonderful lot le martin je sortais visits five years 
regulièrement. I used to go and dine with her. Often she was alone. Il faut avouer que c'était une femme ravissante. You didn't know her at all, did you? No. You see, there was such a high degree of womanliness in her, and such tenderness, and what love! Lord, I did not know how to appreciate my happiness then. We would return after the theatre and have a little supper together. It was never dull where she was. Toujours gai, toujours aimante. Yes, and I had never imagined what rare happiness it was. Et j'ai beaucoup à me reprocher in regard to her. Je la fait souffrir et sauvain. I was outrageous. Ah, what a marvellous time that was! Do I bore you? No, not at all. Then I will tell you about our evenings. I used to go. That stairway, every flower-pot I knew, the door-handle, all was so lovely, so familiar. Then the vestibule, her room. No, it will never, never come back to me again. Even now she writes to me. If you will let me, I will show you her letters. But I am not what I was. I am ruined. I am no longer worthy of her. Yes, I am ruined for ever. Je suis coisse. There is no energy in me, no pride, nothing, nor even rank. Yes, I am ruined, and no one will ever appreciate my sufferings. Everyone is indifferent. I am a lost man. Never any chance for me to rise, because I have fallen morally into the mire. I have fallen. At this moment there was evident in his words a genuine, deep despair. He did not look at me, but sat motionless. Why are you in such despair? I asked. Because I am abominable. This life has degraded me, all that was in me, all is crushed out. It is not by pride that I hold out, but by abjectness. There is no dignité dans le malheur. I am humiliated every moment. I endure it all. I got myself into this abasement. This mire has soiled me. I myself have become coarse. I have forgotten what I used to know. I can't speak French any more. I am conscious that I am base and low. I cannot tear myself away from these surroundings. Indeed, I cannot. I might have been a hero. Give me a regiment, gold epaulets, a trumpeter. But to march in the ranks with some wild Anton Bondarenko or the like, and feel that between me and him there was no difference at all, that he might be killed or I might be killed, all the same, that thought is maddening. You understand how horrible it is to think that some ragamuffin may kill me, a man who has thoughts and feelings, and that it would make no difference if alongside of me some Antonov were killed, a being not different from an animal, and that it might easily happen that I, and not this Antonov, were killed, which is always une fatalité for every lofty and good man. I know that they call me a coward. Grant that I am a coward. I certainly am a coward, and can't be anything else. Not only am I a coward, but I am, in my way, a low and despicable man. Here, I have just been borrowing money of you, and you have the right to despise me. No, take back your money. And he held out to me the crumpled bank bill. I want you to have a good opinion of me. He covered his face with his hands and burst into tears. I really did not know what to say or do. Calm yourself, I said to him. You are too sensitive. Don't take everything so to heart. Don't indulge in self-analysis. Look at things more simply. You yourself say that you have character. Keep up good heart and you won't have long to wait, I said to him. 
but not very consistently, because I was much stirred, both by a feeling of sympathy and a feeling of repentance, because I had allowed myself mentally to sin in my judgment of a man truly and deeply unhappy. Yes, he began, if I had heard even once, at the time when I was in that hell, one single word of sympathy, of advice, of friendship, one humane word such as you have just spoken, perhaps I might have calmly endured all, perhaps I might have struggled and been a soldier. But now this is horrible. When I think soberly, I long for death. Why should I love my despicable life and my own self, now that I am ruined for all that is worth while in the world? And at the least danger, I suddenly, in spite of myself, begin to pray for my miserable life, and to watch over it as though it were precious, and I cannot, je ne puis pas, control myself. That is, I could, he continued after a minute's silence, but this is too hard work for me, a monstrous work when I am alone. With others, under special circumstances, when you are going into action, I am brave, je fais mes éprouvés, because I am vain and proud. That is my failing, and in presence of others. Do you know, let me spend the night with you. With us, they will play all night long. It makes no difference anywhere on the ground. While Nikita was making the bed, we got up, and once more began to walk up and down in the darkness on the battery. Certainly Guskov's head must have been very weak, because two glasses of liqueur and two of wine made him dizzy. As we got up and moved away from the candles, I noticed that he again thrust the ten-ruble bill into his pocket, trying to do so without my seeing it. During all the foregoing conversation he had held it in his hand. He continued to reiterate how he felt that he might regain his old station, if he had a man such as I were, to take some interest in him. We were just going into the tent to go to bed when suddenly a cannon-ball whistled over us, and buried itself in the ground not far from us. So strange it was, that peacefully sleeping camp, our conversation, and suddenly the hostile cannon-ball which flew from God knows where, the midst of our tents, so strange that it was some time before I could realize what it was. Our sentinel, Andreev, walking up and down the battery, moved toward me. Ha! He's crept up to us. It was the fire here that he aimed at, said he. We must rouse the captain, said I, and gazed at Guskov. He stood cowering close to the ground, and stammered, trying to say, that that's the the, the enemy's f fire that that's height further he could not say a word and i did not see how and where he disappeared so instantaneously in the captain's tent a candle gleamed his cough which always troubled him when he was awake was heard and he himself soon appeared asking for a linstock to light his little pipe what does this mean old man he asked with a smile aren't they willing to give me a little sleep tonight First it's you with your cashiered friend, then it's Shamil. What shall we do, answer him or not? There was nothing about this in the instructions, was there? Nothing at all. There he goes again, said I, two of them. Indeed, in the darkness directly in front of us flashed two fires, like two eyes, and quickly over our heads flew one cannonball and one heavy shell. It must have been meant for us, coming with a loud and penetrating hum. From the neighboring tents the soldiers hastened. You could hear them hawking and talking and stretching themselves. Hist! The fuse sings like a nightingale, was the remark of the artilleryist. Send for Nikita, said the captain, with his perpetually benevolent smile. Nikita, don't hide yourself, but listen to the mountain nightingales. Well, your honor, said Nikita, who was standing near the captain, I have seen them, these nightingales. I am not afraid of them. 
but here was that stranger who was here he was drinking up your red wine when he heard how that shot dashed by our tents and the shell rolled by he cowered down like some wild beast however we must send the commander of the artillery said the captain to me in a serious tone of authority and ask whether we shall reply to the fire or not it will probably be nothing at all but it still may have the goodness to go and ask him have a horse saddled do it as quickly as possible even if you take my polkin in five minutes they brought me a horse and i galloped off to the commander of the artillery look you return on foot whispered the punctilious captain else they won't let you through the lines it was half a vest to the artillery commanders the whole road ran between the tents as soon as i rode away from our fire it became so black that i could not see even the horse's ears but only the watch-fires now seeming very near now very far off as they gleamed into my eyes after i had ridden some distance trusting to the intelligence of the horse whom i allowed free rein i began to distinguish the white four-cornered tents and then the black tracks of the road after a half-hour having asked my way three times and twice stumbled over the tent stakes causing each time a volley of curses from the tents and twice been detained by the sentinels i reached the artillery commanders while i was on the way i heard two more cannon shot in the direction of our camp but the projectiles did not reach the place where the headquarters were the artillery commander ordered not to reply to the firing the more as the enemy did not remain in the same place and i went back leading the horse by the bridle making my way on foot between the infantry tents more than once i delayed my steps as i went by some soldier's tent where a light was shining and some merry andrew was telling a story or i listened to some educated soldier reading from some book while the whole division overflowed the tent or hung around it sometimes interrupting the reading with various remarks or i simply listened to the talk about the expedition about the fatherland or about their chiefs as i came around one of the tents of the third battalion i heard guskoff's rough voice he was speaking hilariously and rapidly young voices replied to him not those of soldiers but of gay gentlemen it was evidently the tent of some younger or sergeant major i stopped short i've known him a long time guskoff was saying when i lived in petersburg he used to come to my house often and i went to his he moved in the best society whom are you talking about asked the drunken voice about the prince said guskoff we were relatives you see but more than all we were old friends it's a mighty good thing you know gentlemen to have such an acquaintance you see he's fearfully rich to him a hundred silver roubles is a mere bagatelle here i just got a little money out of him enough to last me till my sister sends let's have some right away savilich my dear said guskoff coming to the door of the tent here's ten roubles for you go to the sutler get two bottles of kokonetsky anything else gentlemen what do you say and guskoff with unsteady gait with disheveled hair without his hat came out of the tent throwing open his jacket and thrusting his hands in the pockets of his trousers he stood at the door of the tent though he was in the light and i in darkness i trembled with fear lest he should see me and i went on trying to make no noise who goes there shouted guskoff after me in a thoroughly drunken voice apparently the cold took hold of him who the devil is going off with that horse i made no answer and silently went on my way end of section six end of stories by foreign authors russian authors